Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I'm Aaron Schweitzer, publisher of The Source. We have a treat for listeners this week as intrepid reporter Jack Harvel is co-hosting with this with me this week. This podcast is powered by The Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper, still celebrating our 25th anniversary. We are pleased that you're taking some of your time to listen to us chat with the people who shape our community. Today we are speaking with outgoing District Attorney John Hummel. John was elected to Shoots County District District Attorney in 2014 and re-elected in 2018. Immediately prior to his service as District Attorney, John was a state and federal policy director for the Oregon Primary Care Association. John previously served as a Liberia Africa country representative for the Carter Center, former United States President Jimmy Carter's peace and health organization. John led the Carter Center's efforts to assist Liberians improve their justice and mental health systems with an overarching aim of achieving peace and prosperity for a country that is recovering from a brutal 14-year civil war. John's other professional experience includes 12 years as a criminal law defense attorney, teaching and serving as a Bend City Councilor. Man, we're layering it up here, John. You know. <laughs> Do so, we have any time left? to slow down on the accomplishments. Uh, so, John, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, glad to be here. It's uh, As we're recording this, I think I have uh, just a few more days left, so yeah. I'm happy to Get out of the office and come down and, and hang out. Great. Uh, well, you're embarking on this new chapter of your life, and uh, I hear you recently got married, taking one of the most eligible bachelors out of circulation. Uh, what are you excited about as this next chapter begins? Oh, um, number one, I'm excited to you know start my life with uh, Juliana, my wife, uh, and it, it, we're moving to Portland. You know, maybe jumping ahead to a question you might have, but. Uh, it, that was sad. Is sad to leave here, but yeah. but I'm moving, you know, for Juliana, and so I'm yeah. moving for love. And so right. that way, it was easy. But it's still hard. I mean, I moved to Bend in 1995. I did leave before, as your intro suggested. I left for a few years. I worked overseas in uh, in Liberia and came back. And you know, I came back because I love this place. So leaving. Uh, you know, it's a little piece of me is removed when I leave here, but yeah. I'm certainly happy to, you know, to start my life in Portland with Juliana. Yeah, well, you've done a lot to shape the community. So in, in some ways, the town reflects a little bit of yourself. It's got to be bittersweet to move away. But the door is always open, John. Thanks. What I tell people is, uh, you, who, my friend, you leave. I always say you'll be back. We all come back. And so I'm not saying I'm leaving here for good. Right. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, you've been called. Let's let's talk a little bit about your time as a um, as a district attorney. You you you've been called a progressive prosecutor, and it's a term I was unfamiliar with until I, I started asking Jack what what exactly that was. But maybe you can tell us uh, if if you if you accept that nomenclature and and what does that mean to you? Well, absolutely accept it. I, mean, I think everyone should be progressive. I want progressive doctors, and I want progressive plumbers and electricians and engineers. Progressive to me means you're always looking for a better way to do things. I mean, if if the way we're doing it is perfect, well, you don't need anyone to be progressive, but progressive is always trying to make progress. And, and I think it's safe to say that the way we've been doing criminal justice in our country hasn't worked. Why? Because our recidivism rate is sky high. And that means people who are commit a crime and are arrested, are convicted, are sentenced, then they do it again, and they do it again, 
and they do it again. So how we're doing it isn't working. So we need to come up with a new way. So as a progressive district attorney, my view was, hey, let's work together as a community to figure out what we can do to provide people who commit crimes with uh, the incentives and tools they need to be successful in the future. Because that's good for them and it's good for our community because there'll be less crime. Sure. Yeah. And uh, sometimes progressive prosecutors get blamed for increases in crimes uh, and crime rates. We've seen uh, some recalls in, I believe it's San Diego. but uh, how would you respond to that claim that uh, progressive prosecutors can lead to an increase in crime? Well, no, uh, I, I, I reject that. And <laughs> But I, I will say this. Um, prosecutors can lead to an increase in crime, progressive and uh, traditional. I mean, it. here's the deal. I, I'll never forget when I was interviewed by um, – uh, one of your uh, you know, competitors and other journalists in town, uh, you know, nine years ago <laughs> when I first ran for office, he asked me, hey, if you win this race and you get elected, how can we judge whether you were successful? Oh, that was a great question. And I thought about it and I said, well, ultimately, you should judge me on whether we're a safer community because that has to be the ultimate goal. And so if you're a DA or a sheriff or a police chief and the crime rate goes up in your community, you should be blamed for it. I mean, why are you in there? If, if not to make the community more safe and more just, why are you in there? So some progressive prosecutors, crime has gone up in their community. Some uh, tough on crime, traditional prosecutors, crime has gone up in their communities. And, and some progressives have reduced crime in their community and some tough on crime prosecutors have reduced crime. But uh, m- much fewer tough on crime prosecutors have reduced crime than progressive prosecutors. What are the steps that you take when you're tackling something as large as reducing recidivism? I mean, so much of that seems like it would stem from environmental factors, cultural factors. I mean, it's it's a lot for any individual to take on to say, well, you know, starting today, this comes down. How, right. how do you take on a goal like that? Yeah, well, it, it's nuts to suggest anyone can do it on their own. And as you suggest, you know, most of the drivers of crime are things that are, you know, way outside the pay grade of a DA, you know, housing, um, poverty, addiction, mental health. But that doesn't mean you throw up your hands and you say what to do about it. You know, I can be in the group uh, of community uh, members in Deschutes County in a 20, uh, late 2015 called to shoot safe and we spent a year digging into data um, and we had help from the u.s department of justice uh, bureau of justice assistance and we looked at what the root drivers of recidivism were in deschutes county and we saw uh, clearly it was uh, addiction issues was the number one driver there are other issues too and so i uh working with others uh, we developed a program called uh to shoot safe and that uh diverted people from the criminal justice system into the medical uh, system. And we saw that people who went through uh, that program had a significantly lower recidivism rate than people who went through traditional prosecution. And then once that program got up and running and stood on its feet, then uh, we developed other programs in the office. And our Veterans Intervention Program and our Emerging Adult Program are, are two examples of that. So it's look for every, it's going to be different in every community. So one, you have to diagnose the problem and then uh, come up with the uh, the treatment. Um, speaking 
on the emerging adult program, yeah. uh, what what results have you seen for uh, the young people that have gone through that process? Yeah, it, it, it's a, it's early to talk about recidivism numbers in that program because we've only been running it for a brief period of time. So I can speak anecdotally about it. What the program is in in a nutshell. Um, Neuroscience uh, tells us, um, relatively recent, you know, in the last five years or so, that the brain is still developing until your mid 20s. For some people, late 20s. For some people, early 20s. But basically, your your middle 20s is when your brain fully develops. And yet, we have a juvenile justice system that says, once you're 18, you're treated as an adult. Now, why do we have a juvenile justice system and an adult justice system? It's based on the idea that kids will be kids. Kids do stupid stuff. Until their brain is fully developed, we uh, shouldn't saddle them with a conviction for the rest of their life. But we peg it to 18 when now neuroscience tells us it's closer to 25. So I said, all right, taking that new science, I can, me and my deputies can treat people who commit crimes between the ages of 18 and 25 the same way they would have been treated if their case was handled in the juvenile justice system. And that means the focus will be on rehabilitation, not punishment. And if the person successfully does what is asked for them, they will get out of the case without an adult conviction. And so we've seen people who were kind of hopeless, often, um, you know, couch surfing, unemployed, um, without a direction in life. They get in this program and we have mentors uh, adults who have previously gone through the criminal justice system who mentor these kids, and we've seen great progress. Now, it, it's anecdotally. I can talk to you about all those kids. I want to see the uh, you know big data that will be developed in about a year on whether recidivism rates are reducing, but I expect that they will. Mm-hmm. It seems like one of the themes, and I mean this came from what I consider the very poorly worded defund the police, but right. – um, you know that the idea is that you're moving some of these folks into other aspects of the social services networks from prosecutorial areas to medical. Right. What what kind of cooperation do you see, for lack of a better term? I mean, it's you're you're putting this on there. You got to shift funding, mm-hmm. I imagine. You got to shift mentalities. Um, what kind of challenge does that bring? Well, I mean, it, it brings challenges, unfortunately, because you know some uh, police are a little resistive to this. Others are supportive, but um, the ones who are resistive, you know, I've, of course, over eight years, I've talked to many police officers, sure. and, it, and I think it is messaging is part of this problem. Like the defund, as you said, I, I, I disagree with that messaging, but I talk to some officers, and a place where I talk to them a lot, unfortunately, is crime scenes late at night. You know, 3 a.m., cold weather, there's a homicide. You can kind of bond with people around because it's a pretty dark, morose setting, and so you support one another. So I often have my best conversations with cops in those settings. So I said to a cop once, I said, um, hey, what new things are you doing at the Bend Police Department? He goes, oh, we got this great new program. And you know, he started telling me about the program. And it, it was I hadn't heard about it. It was a pretty cool program. And I was like, oh, that's pretty neat. So I said, so, hey, why do you, you guys get so resistive when – people start talking about there needs to be a new way of policing. And he's like, oh, I see what you're doing, Hummel. He goes, no, (laughs) those people say all cops are bastards. Those people say, I'm like, hey, well, some of them say that, not all of them say that. Sure. But also, how about you just listen to them? They're saying 
We want policing to be improved. And you just told me about a new thing you're doing at the Bend Police Department. So you want policing to be improved. So why can't we talk about how the criminal justice system and policing can be improved? And he's like, yeah, I know. They just say all cops are bastards. I'm like, I know. I hear you. But we're really close. Yeah. Because policing today is a heck of a lot better than it was 50 years ago. Um, prosecuting is, judging is, electricians are better today than they were, doctors are better today. So I don't understand why, well, I do understand why some officers are resistant to this because it's delivered to them in a really negative, anti, you're an awful person, you know, way. Right. And that's hard yeah, to hear. Yeah. But we're close. Yeah, that's why I brought up the thing yeah. about the messaging on it. I mean, the kind of program, the kind of things they were talking about, at least from a, you know, I'm outside that system. I'm right. in there like you are. Seemed like great work shift, you yeah. know, like, do you want to be doing that? Do you want to be assessing people with mental health issues? Right. Do you want to be making those calls on the street right there? Or do you want to have resources where you could call in to me? That seemed... Well, I mean, it's a great... Let's think about it. If, if you're a kid who, you know, a young boy or girl who, you know, grew up wanting to be a cop, what were you thinking about? I want to go after guys who are committing murders and rapes and child sex abuse. I want to take that down. You're not, you're not a kid saying, I want to be a cop so I can, you know, deal with someone who's in a mental health crisis or urinating on themselves or homeless. That's not what you're thinking. That's what kids who grow up wanting to be doctors or social workers want exactly. to do. Exactly. And so if yeah. you take that off police's plates, they're going to have more time to focus on you know, the most serious crimes. Okay. Yeah. Um, does uh, being a progressive prosecutor, and we, we did just touch on this, but <clears throat> what are the challenges there for coordinating with law enforcement? Well, you know, as we touched on, you know, some officers are, are resistive to the the term because of what it means to them. You know, they cops are under attack now a lot and, you know, sometimes justifiably, sometimes not. And uh, but they'll hear anyone who comes around who has a label of, you know, progressive as they will equate that to anti-cop. And I'm not anti-cop, but so I have to spend more time developing relationships with police than maybe someone who came up through the more traditional ranks. Like most elected DAs were started out at a law school as a deputy district attorney, worked there 20 years, the elected DA retires and they like ascend to the position. And so they already have the relationships with the cops. They came from team cop, in, in, so to speak. So I came from team uh, defense attorney, public defender, progressive DA, all terms that um, gets gets many officers hackles up, but not not all. Um, you know, many were supportive right away, but some weren't. I am I think proud that over time I've, you know, developed relationships with many of the officers. But initially it was difficult. Absolutely. Yeah, you 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 bring up a good point. I mean, your your path to the district attorney's office was maybe not unique, but just you know different. How does your background as a public defender and a defense attorney when you come into a position like that, how's it inform your decision making process? Oh, um, completely and absolutely as a public defender and also working as a, you know, public health, you know, policy person, like I know that uh, most people who commit crimes are good people who did a terrible thing. Some people who commit crimes are terrible people. But that's the exception. Uh, most people who commit crimes commit crimes because of, you know, the social determinants of health, as we touched on earlier, their you know, addiction or their poverty situation or their housing situation. And so understanding that um, better enables me to develop 
interventions that are going to help that person succeed. And, and when, when a criminal suspect succeeds, that's good for them and their family. And it's good for our community because they're less likely to commit crimes. So coming from that background, I think I was you know, better able to understand that than maybe someone who's never worked in those fields. Yeah. Um, Jack, I know. Uh, I'm going to take the next question, if that's okay. Go for it. All right. Uh, you're, you're one of the more, you've been an outspoken DA. You're, you're pretty media savvy. Um, how did you approach, I mean, some of that comes from being a city councilor. I imagine you've been in the public. How did you approach communicating with the public that, um, you know, that's different from your predecessors? Yeah, the, the fact that the way I do it is different than my predecessors speaks more to them than I, because to me, it was what every elected official should do. I mean, you're right to say, historically, people have not communicated with the media as I have in the position of district attorney, but I'm an elected official, right? I was elected to keep our community safe and also to be a steward of uh, $10 million of uh, taxpayer revenue every year. People, I think, deserve to know what's happening in their criminal justice system. There's not much more important to a community than personal safety. And so the idea that personal safety will be conducted in a black box that no one knows about, but uh, you know, speed limits and zoning and parks and schools, we're going to talk about that. Why? Like, why? <laughs> like, I don't, like, and so to me, if I make a decision, you know, I make you know, thousands, I mean, fat thousands of important decisions as DA, uh, it's incumbent upon me to tell the community first, what I did. Most yeah. of the time, people would, wouldn't have even known the DA had made a decision if I didn't tell them. So I tell people what I did, and I tell them why I did it. And that's important because, one, they have a right to know. But, two, when they vote, they have to assess whether they, on balance, agree with what I've done and I'm worthy of their vote. If they never know, they go to the ballot box like, I don't know who any of these yeah. people are. Yeah. And so I just think it's important for transparency that people know what I did and why I did it. That's why I told them. And that's radical and that's ridiculous. <laughs> but it is, it does, it was somewhat of a change even for the people under you, the, it, the even for lawyers. I mean, they're not usually very communicative. Let's just be kind in that way. Now, come on. <laughs> <laughs> They're communicative in front of a judge, but yeah. you want to put a microphone in front of them? No, that's right. But we're trial attorneys, right? right. We should be able to talk to the public. But uh, I hear what you're saying. It hadn't been done before. Now, And also, with a PS on this, this is important. We have ethical rules of conduct. If I'm talking about a suspect in a criminal case, I always took care to say um, to not besmirch them publicly. Sure. I would never say, I charge this SOB, or I charge this guy and he's guilty of sin. I would say... Look, we review the evidence. I determine charges were warranted. Yeah. I filed them. Here are the charges I filed. The person is presumed innocent. They get their day in court. So I always complied with the ethical rules to ensure that the uh, presumption of innocence sure. was carried through. Yeah, we were, as a as a media led, we were grateful for the sunlight. I'll say that. Yeah, so. well, good to hear. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, do you have any advice for the uh, upcoming or incoming DA? Well, Steve Gunnels has... Uh, Served as my chief deputy district attorney during my eight-year tenure. Steve uh, started in our office, I think, uh, 28 years ago. And so Steve is as uh, big an institution in the criminal justice community as there is in Deschutes County. There's there's no sitting judge who was on the bench when Steve started in the 
DA's office. And, of, and there's no police chief or sheriff who was in their role when Steve started. Uh, so it, I don't – now, but at the same time, so I, I said to Steve, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago when we started transition planning, I'm like, Steve, you don't need advice from me. You've been doing it 28 years. And he said, John, well, I appreciate that, but I haven't done your job. Like he goes, I haven't done your job. And so that was a good reminder for me that even though he knows everything about his job, you know, the elected DA, there are some unique things that I do. So he and I have sat down over the past two months and, you know, I've given him advice. And I think the number, I won't tell you the nuts and bolts <laughs> advice. That's, I'll keep that between he and I. But sure. I will tell you this I told Steve, you have to figure out what your style of being DA is. And um, if you try to be me, not like he wants to try to be me, but like if you try to be me or someone else, you'll fail. Like it, it's okay to do it differently than I do as long as you do it the way that's right for you. And so he and I have talked about certain things that, you know, he might do a little differently because it's more his style. And, of course, that's fine by me. It's his call. But uh, so he's trying to figure out, I think, what his way of doing it's going to be. Uh, and so we've had good conversations around that. So you're looking back, what do you view as your biggest accomplishments in office? How do you how do you feel you moved it forward and um yeah, what are the things that you put sparkles on? Well, I mean, number one is is safety. Um there are fewer significant crimes of violence now than when I took office. Uh, measure eleven crimes are the proxy we use for that. And so we've tracked the measure eleven crimes every year. That's you know, our eye on the prize mm-hmm. crimes. And there are fewer now than when I took office. And that's number one. Number two, I think about um, justice. Like we focused in our office on doing right by every person who came in this office. If you were innocent and arrested by the police, you wanted me as your DA because I was likely to detect that. Now, if you were guilty and arrested by the police and the police violated your rights, you wanted me as your DA because I would detect that. If you were guilty and the police did everything right, you didn't want me as your DA because I would uh, charge you and we'd hold you accountable. And so I do think about the times where there'd be a knock on my door and um, one of my deputy DAs would come in and say, hey, John, you know, we've been prosecuting this case for a month, but uh, I don't I don't think we have it. I got concerns about it. Can we dismiss it? And they were a little reluctant at first. They'd come in kind of reluctant, like, and they'd pull in their hair. Ah, God, yeah. I think we may have to dismiss it. I'm like, well, then we're going to dismiss it. Like, good work. Like, <laughs> you achieved justice. But that was the bias early. That sure. the bias was toward toward going forward with the case, and 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 that is because that was the wrong focus. Our focus is to do justice. If we detect someone's innocence and dismiss a case, we should be high fiving just as much as when we find someone guilty. There's no different. Our we don't have a we don't have a dog in this hunt on, you know, guilty or not. We have a dog in the hunt of justice. If we achieve justice, that's the focus. So we I'd like to think we achieved justice in the vast majority of cases we handled, uh, the ones we dismissed and the ones we went forward on. Yeah, I think that's not as common in your office as, you know, I mean, I think it's not, it's how many prosecutions you got. Right. It's how many trophies. That's, right. That's been the traditional uh, metric and it's the wrong metric. Yeah. Um, looking back at your time as DA, uh, is there any regrets or anything you wish you would have done uh, during your tenure? Yeah. You know, I, I, <laughs> this might come as a surprise <laughs> to some people, but I stayed in my lane early 
too often. Some people would say I didn't stay in my lane. <laughs> but um, but but to me, I I talked earlier about you know going upstream to focus on you know the root causes of crime, which are you know addiction and poverty, and and I worked within my office to the greatest extent possible to address that. But um, I should have gone out of the office even more. And and homelessness is one issue that I think about. Um, I was me like anyone else. I have you know eyes and ears and that I see that that's an issue that's increasing in Deschutes County. And uh, I figured, well, that's a city councilor issue. That's a county commissioner issue. And it certainly is for them. But I could have been part of that and maybe even led. Now, if I did, some people would have said, Hummel, what's a DA here talking about that? that that's a county commission thing. That's a city councilor thing. Fine. I, I would have taken those things and hours and said, yeah, well, let's well, let's work on it together. Right. And I didn't. And I, so I, you know, looking back, I regret that. I should have uh, been more of a community leader. I have a bully pulpit. I could have used it. Sure. Well, a good bit of your time was spent during COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. How much did that slow down the things you wanted to do or speed them up? I mean, what was the impact? Well, I mean, like this isn't unique to the DA's office. We all had to learn a, a new way of doing things. And, uh, you know, I'm proud of how our office did it. Uh, we, we, we learned to work remotely. Um, the, with the court's guidance, you know, the court has moved to uh, many uh, remote uh, mm-hmm. hearings. Judge Ashby, presiding Judge Ashby, was, you know, a leader in that. And so we adapted to that. I wouldn't say it didn't slow us down. What, what did happen is the court put many cases on hold and kind of bumped them down the road. And so now that we've come out of pandemic, we've got a big backlog in the courts that would have been awful, but for the fact that we received two new judges. And mm-hmm. so that kind of like saved us. If we didn't yeah. get those two new judges with the COVID delays, we would have been in big, uh, big problems. But uh, so I think great work uh, working in collaboration with the county commissioners and uh, Judge Ashby were able to get those two new judges. So that's something I'm real proud of, too. What do you what do you hope that, um, you know, you're going to be going you mentioned going to Portland that you're you're looking back. What do you hope you see? when you're looking at the Bend area as we move forward? Well, you know, Bend's unique in the state. I mean, I guess every community is unique in their own way, but I think Bend is is well-positioned to be the leader in this state, the leader, not a leader, the leader. Um, Portland, um, you, got, you know, I'm moving there, and I, I love many people. I have many friends there, and I love many people in government, but I'm going to say it's a dysfunctional Right now, Portland city government is dysfunctional. The state legislature definitely has their problems. Bend is a uh, has historically been a beloved place by everyone in Bend. <laughs> so we got this kind of like, oh, everyone loves Bend. Bend right. is great. But now in this last few years, I say I give big credit to uh, many community members who have spoken out about the problems in Bend. Yeah. And so that initially was not well received by the powers that be that have a lot invested in Ben being a beautiful, lovely place with no problems. So that was, there was clashes over the past few years when problems were brought up by outspoken people, you know, me being one of them, but not the leading voice on this. I think of the activists who've Mm -hmm. spoken up on this. But I think we've kind of gotten through that. It's kind of like you have to break stuff before you can build it back. So Ben Lovely, that was a myth. Been bad. Fight, 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 fight. Okay, now we've kind of got through that. Like, all right, what do we do with the reality that we have, that we are a lovely community and we've got warts and challenges? And I do see the next few years 
Ben has the opportunity to address those challenges, come out of it well, and then be the leading community in the state for showing people how to do it right. I believe, I know we can, and I, I, I hope we do. Where looking at looking at the political landscape, where do you think that kind of leadership comes from? When you when you see, I mean, you work at all levels now, so who who's going to assume that mantle? And and where would you see the? Uh, which, by the way, I, I love your optimism on that. We're past the I love Ben Bar. I still see right. like yeah. a lot of sunshine, but sure. right, yeah, right, right. yeah, I got you. <laughs> still, that's still out there. Right? But you need the voice. I mean, here's something you know I learned right when I was on the city council. I was one of seven. When I was the DA, I was one of one. And one of one can, you know, have a lot more impact sure. than one of seven. And so I'd like to see one of the seven. Well, let's say the mayor, right? And if we're talking about Bend, if we're talking about the county commission, let's see one voice on the county commission. Let's. See, I'd like to see the mayors, the mayor of Redmond, the mayor of Bend, Mayor Lapine, Mayor of Sisters. Maybe those four with the county chair. We've not seen that because there's so many elected officials. I think everyone just kind of maybe thinks. Someone else will do it, one, or yeah. they're afraid to speak up because others will be upset. If I speak up, my colleague on the city council will say, why are you showboating? Why? So everyone's like, oh, I don't want to showboat. Well, if you don't showboat, you don't do anything. So, I mean, showboating is the pejorative term, but sure. another term for it is leadership. Right. Uh, yeah. So I'd like to see someone step up, that leader who's willing to take the slings and arrows and also say to themselves and maybe even publicly, I don't care if I lose re-election, but I'm going to take this term to try to make a change. And then you start trying to see where the community is, where the community could go, and start moving people toward there. I, I'm, I'm, I'm craving that leadership. Yeah. I, I, what is it? I need a hero. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I'm hearing in the back. Of yeah. My head. But let, let's let's sure. see if that person emerges. Yeah, I would. I mean, looking looking around, I would say uh, that's it's pretty accurate given the way things are going. And I think some of it. I mean, I I wonder how much of. I mean, and you've certainly had to battle this in the office with um, social media. I mean, there's such that has such a dampening effect. How, I mean, I'm curious as you've you know you've taken a pretty vocal position as a DA. And the voices out there on social media have been pretty loud. How do you, you know, as a leader and, and someone who, you know, is asking uh, city councilors to step into that fray where certainly if they're going to speak out, they're going to they're going to hear it. Right. Well, I mean, what I did in my first race for D.A., I was I, I will never my campaign manager and I talk about this a lot of times over beers. I was in a dark place because I was reading every social media post and every media post and it was killing me. And she said one day, she's like, look, they're getting you off your message. We have a campaign plan and you're responding to all this. She goes, you just need to stop reading all of it. I was like, okay. (laughs) I went cold turkey. And I tell you this, I've not read one newspaper article about myself until the going away piece that ran. But I didn't read any news coverage about anything I did because I knew if I did, I would, I know myself that I'd be like, anxious. oh, why the reporter write that? Why? I'm just like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I think is in the best interest of the community. I'm going to reach out to the public at, you know, public meetings and events, but I'm not going to listen to the toxic stuff on social media because, you know, someone will blow me up on social media, right? And then I'll meet them in person and they're the nicest person ever. Let, let's talk face to face. So I took my feedback that way and didn't, uh, didn't, didn't go down the rabbit hole of the. Don't read the comments on uh, 
KTVZ. That, that's a, that's a dark place. <laughs> yes, next, we we put next door up there too. Yeah, they, yeah, they, 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 they too. can roll. They can roll pretty well. Yeah. Um, what, are we at the last question? What oh, we got one more? What are? What's the penul- penultimate? Question? Yeah. What are you gonna? So I know you're moving to Portland. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do now? Yeah, I mean, I get, I, so I read that article, and I, I, there was speculation in that article that I'm running for Congress. But no, no, I mean, they got a little I don't, the reporter who I think the world of. You know, he asked me if I would ever run for office, and I said, uh, "Oh, you know, I've been recruited in the past for, yeah. to run, but I'm not running for Congress because I'm moving to Portland. I mean, the, yeah. the congressional district we're seated in the district. So no, I'm not running for office, but um, I don't know. It's a uh, I'm in a nice place where I can take a few months and just, you know, reflect, exhale. I have two phones always. Uh, I mean, I call one the the murder phone. It's it's the work phone. When this thing rings, you know, bad things have happened, and you know, it'll be my life for the next three to four hours, no matter what time of day it is. So I'm gonna enjoy living with one phone. I'm gonna. Uh, Take some time, but I'm not retired, and so I'm gonna take a you know a month or two, sure. and just hey, it's a new house. We're still moving in. I've got to meet the neighbors, but uh, I'll be working in Oregon on making our community as good as possible. However yeah. you define community, is it Portland? Is it statewide Oregon? Yeah, I don't know. So I don't have anything locked down yet. Yeah, well, hopefully it's a larger community and and it includes Bend. Be great. Hey, that'd yeah. be great. Well, John, thanks for your time. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, Jack, thanks for joining me today. Uh, great to have you. And uh, yeah, listeners out there, keep listening. And uh, John, we wish you well. Yeah, we'll see you. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it.